Welcome to the Change Lives, Changing Lives podcast, a ministry of Locust Hill Baptist Church in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. My name is Michael Hodge, Senior Pastor at Locust Hill. At Locust Hill, we celebrate the change that God alone could bring in our lives, and we also recognize the calling to share that good news with others. Lives changed by Christ, changing lives by Christ. We welcome you to this podcast where we want to equip you to live in the reality of a life changed by Christ. Disciple making is at the core of a church's calling, and we want to take advantage of every resource we can to encourage you today. We invite you to join us for a service Sundays at 10.15 a.m., Wednesdays 6.30 p.m. Our church is located at 5534 Locust Hill Road in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. Our website is locusthillchurch.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how we can encourage you. We welcome you to the Change Lives, Changing Lives podcast. It is staff meeting day, and we are here around the long table to talk once again about Gentle and Lowly, Dane Portland's resource. We've already had a lot of fun just prepping for the session. I don't know that a lot of that's gonna make it into the episode, but it was entertaining. So let me just kind of bring everybody up to speed over the last few episodes, what we talked about in the first episode. We discussed the way Jesus introduced himself. I am gentle and lowly in heart. We talked about the posture most natural to him, not a pointing finger, but open arms. In the second episode, we looked at his heart in action, moving towards us in our pain. In episode three, we looked at the happiness of Christ, that his joy is in seeing people forgiven. And then last week, in episode four, we considered how Jesus is able to sympathize. And so we were looking at Hebrews four last week, now we're going to be moving on to Hebrews 5. I appreciate the participation of the staff. I said, hey, we're getting better at this every week. So we see yes. improvement every episode. So Jason's been writing our show notes and helping us narrow and guide our discussion. So at this point, I would pause for a word from our sponsors. <laughs> we don't have any at this point. I thought about maybe the Hungry Drover could sponsor. I mean, I could get me a breakfast Sammy or something out of the deal, but yeah, no sponsors. Yeah, a lot of coffee is consumed here. Yeah, so. we do. We need coffee sponsorship. Not Pepsi, so. Diet Coke. Well, Jason, no advertisers, so you kick off the conversation then. You know, last week um, we talked a lot about the word sympathy and it, it kind of the transition to this week in this chapter, um, we go from Hebrews 4 to Hebrews 5, where the main scripture verse is Hebrews 5, 2, which says he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. So we're shifting from sympathy to gentleness. And I can't think of a better person to answer this question. So Will, um, football player, Strong guy. What image or images come to your mind when you hear the word gentle? So um, I think what immediately comes to mind is an interaction that I just had this past Sunday night. Uh, We had a young girl come for the first time to youth group. She's not a Christian. Um, Some of our guys have been witnessing to her and she wants to see what it's all about. So she comes and sits through one of the studies. Um, which we're talking about the book of Mark and, you know, Satan tempting Jesus and in Jesus um, having all the great comebacks he does. We love those. And afterwards, she's like, hey, can I just talk to you for a minute? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's fine with me. And you could just see it like the way it was described was like, you know, when your foot's asleep, 
she said that feeling was like in my stomach to talk to you like my foot I felt like I was asleep mm-hmm. anyways um, we start talking and she's asking me questions like what does what do Christians think about the LBGTQ community what do they think about racism what do they think about other religions and we were just walking through these answers together and you could just see her beginning to calm down and like everything to become more natural and I think the beautiful thing was um, as I told her at the end I was like you feel a little bit more comfortable and she's like yeah I'm so thankful for this and I was like why and she was like because honestly that's when she told me my stomach felt like I had butterflies on mm-hmm. it but now I feel like I can talk to you and the beautiful thing is is that Jesus comes and meets us where we are and that's what he did for that little girl wow. and so that's the picture of gentleness that comes over yeah. me awesome that's really cool I'm, I love the fact that you can be gentle with somebody without walking on eggshells right you know and kind of dodging the, the question or dodging the truth that you really want to present and you know you bring up a great point will about being gentle with her in your conversation and Sandra I'd like to bring you in here you know when you think of being gentle with people what what does that mean? What does that mean to you about being gentle with people? To me, being gentle with people, I immediately think of like a newborn baby. That you're, you know, real tender. Um, I also think of like a, an elderly person. It's just, to me, it's just being real calm, tender, soothing, uh, and showing them special care. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Just what what comes to mind as you think about that? Obviously, that's a key part of the book. So, jump in. What do you think about with that word gentle? I don't know why the word soft comes to mind, but um, you know, softly. It also makes me think of. So, in our family, we have two brand newborn babies. I'm terrified to hold them um, because I'm not gentle. Um, and so like they try to hand them to me at the last time we were all together for a meeting and I just watched all these people especially my grandma like handle these little babies so like gently and, and that's what it reminds me of but then I actually got to hold another baby and I for whatever reason everybody was like holding their breath and I'm just like <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here and I couldn't I couldn't pr- portray that same gentleness that my grandma did yeah. so yeah so Jason, I'll talk to you. The book of Hebrews is in the Bible to tell us what it means for Jesus to be our priest. We see that language all throughout the book of Hebrews. The true priest of whom every other is a shadow and to whom every other is a pointer. Mm. So what does it mean for Jesus to be our true priest to whom every other is a pointer? I love this quote from Mortland when he talks about um, to whom every other is a pointer, the last part of that question. And when I read that, I immediately went back to John chapter one. We've been talking about John a lot this year in church. And uh, in John chapter one, we're introduced to John the Baptist. And uh, the scripture says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And I just think about that, that concept of we can't save ourselves. We can't forgive our sins. And, and as Jesus, the high priest, we need someone to represent us to God. And that's exactly why Jesus came is to be able to walk this earth, experience temptation, um, to die on the cross, be resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father as our advocate. We need someone to represent us to God 
we can't do it ourselves because of the temptation that, that we experience. And so considering Jesus as our high priest, all other priests are human. He's not. He's divine. Yeah. Well, tied in with that is the, the next just section in the book that really stood out. In the last episode, we talked about how Christ's heart is drawn out to his people, as Portland said, in solidarity with them in their pain and distress. So that was in Hebrews 4. Now Hebrews 5, we're building on that as we talk about the manner in which he handles his people to whom he's drawn. So Andy, what did you observe as you looked at Ortland's comparison of the what and the how? Hebrews 4, Hebrews 5. Yeah, and as Jason said, uh, you know, he walked this earth and he experienced the temptation, that weight of temptation. And, you know, as a high priest in going and representing us to God, he knows how difficult it is here for us. And so he represents us to God. He deals with us gently because of that. Now, he experienced temptation, but he never gave into it. And so, I mean, that, that makes him the greatest high priest ever. So like if I'm going to, uh, if I decide I want to climb Mount Everest, I don't want to talk to somebody who has taken pictures of Mount Everest. I want to talk to somebody who's done it. Right. And so we have a high priest that understands the difficulty, understands the what, but then he understands how to deal with us gently mm. and how to love us and to help us through. Yeah. That's good, Andy. And, you know, um, here in chapter five, we get introduced to a couple Greek words that um, that Hebrews uh, uses, both in Hebrews four and in Hebrews five. Uh, I'm going to butcher them, but I'm going to attempt to pronounce them being the, the two repeated common Greek words that that are used are dunamai or duname or the word dunamenon and uh, when you when you think about those two Greek words, I've got to bring one of our Greek scholars in oh, who's wow. in a doctoral program at North Greenville University. Um, so, Will, 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 right. Will you, you're a year into the doctoral program. Yes. What is the significance that Orland points out about that particular word being found in both scripture passages? Well, you don't have to worry about butchering it because it's like this past Sunday night, I butchered an English word and one of our students, Will Ailey, actually pointed out the proper way to say it in the middle of he was All like right. Pastor Will that's not the way you say that common English word and he's over here worried about butchering yeah. Greek words I'm just like whatever but anyways uh, so if you look at the two words uh, dunamai and, dun- and dunamanon there you go, Will. go. come on spit it out you hear the words coming out um, they both um, point us to this idea that one who is able and one who is able not only to sympathize with us, but to, to be gentle with us. And so the whole idea is that Jesus does not throw his hands up in the air when he engages sinners. He is calm, tender, soothing, restrained, and ultimately he deals gently with the with those who are ignorant and wayward. And it really reminds me of the verse in James chapter 2 that I actually got to share with that young lady we were talking about earlier that says mercy triumphs over judgment. And the whole idea behind that is in Jesus's gentleness, he shows us mercy as well. Very good. Well, since we're on these Greek words, it reminds me of the first Republican debate. Chris Christie, he scoffed because at the debate, he got the UFO question 
why did I get the UFO question? So Andy, you didn't avoid this here. You're also getting a Greek question here. Yes. So we're not all Greek scholars here. We're admitting that. But he does in this chapter, and I would say to folks that pick up the book, don't let that detract from thinking that you can comprehend it because in the context, he really ties it in well so that you understand why he's referencing these Greek words. But here he talks about uh, the Jesus as our high priest by using the Greek word metriopathine. It's the only use of this verb in the New Testament. What does that word mean and how does it apply to us today? So Andy, we're tapping into your Greek knowledge now. As well, well, there you go. Right. I have about as much Greek knowledge as I do of UFOs. So, <laughs> you speak Euro. And that's it. That's it. But uh, metropathine is a. It's a made up of two words. So one is the basis of measurement. So metrio metris. So we think about Americans. You know, we love the metric system. But still, it ultimately it talks about measure or measured, and then uh, the the pathian or pathine uh, is passion or suffering, and uh, so we think of measured passion or suffering. But a better way to think about it is restraining that passion, the suffering, the judgment. So he's measuring it out. So it's not that he's saying, "Oh, I'm going to put this much suffering on it. I'm going to reduce." I'm going to deal with them with sympathy, with empathy there. And the empathy and sympathy are very different because empathy is someone that can understand this lived it Mm -hmm. and he lived it there. And so, uh, you know, if we come to Christ with our sin uh, and when we come to Christ with our sin, uh, we have to come uh, to him. Uh, You know, he can forgive and he doesn't deal with us like we deserve. So when I come, when I've been ignorant (laughs) and, which is often, and I've been wayward, which is often, he deals with me gently. And so his response is in measure to his love, his grace, his mercy, not in what I deserve. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm glad that as I've been both, I've been ignorant and wayward, that he has treated me out of his love, out of his well of great love and mercy, instead of out of that judgment that I deserve. You know, and I think if we view God as distant, then we look at him, as he talks about in this section, as frustrated with us. But if we view him as a, a savior who's walked the path with us, you know, I'll take it from your perspective. If you go to a worship service, you have a deeper appreciation for what's happening in front of you than someone else that doesn't lead worship. Right. And if there's a mistake along the way, you're not angry at that. You're like, hey. That, I understand that. I understand that, you know, didn't come in at the right time or missed a chord or something. You have compassion for them, empathy, because, you know, yep, been there. Yeah, and it's not at a distance in judgment. You're like, oh, yep, I know what that's like. <laughs> but here's Jesus that came down, walked the journey with us. And mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things that really stands out all throughout the book. And if there's any message that I would say, I pray that folks take away, that we'll take away, is he's not frustrated with us. He's not a distant God looking down on us, angry, saying, you did it again. You messed up again. No, he is, as this chapter talked about, he deals gently with us. So, you know, as we continue then, just he, he's taking that point on, on throughout the chapter. Here. He does, and, and you bring up a good point about how Jesus deals with his people and how he deals with us. But let's shift the conversation a little bit, Michael, and... And, you know, kind of bringing you back in, 
with whom <laughs> does Jesus deal gently? And in what ways do we understand ourselves to be ignorant and wayward? Mm. I love the way he steers the conversation at first because surely those who have failed greatly, surely they receive a harsher response mm-hmm. because that's how we're taught. Right. Because if someone is really messed up, then we kind of expect that they're going to be treated accordingly. And yet this ties in with the last chapter that we're drawing in, out his love, that he desires for sinners to come, that he's not lo- reluctantly coming before us or us before him. It's that expression of his love. So we look at the sin of others as more serious than yeah. ours and more offensive to God than our failures. But this text is teaching us that he deals gently with us when we mess up. A failure we intend to commit, as we've talked about. And he also deals gently when we're broken over just those failures. So that wayward, what, what are the words in your sections? Will, you talked about it in the opening part. Um, how did he describe from Psalms that you were tying in that connection? Those willful sins. Oh, ignorant and, and wayward. And wayward that's yeah, right. ignorant and yeah, wayward. Yeah, ignorant Thank being you. the ones that you don't know that you're even committing. Where wayward are the ones where you're heavy-handed and like, yeah, I'm right. this. So we think, well, those ones that I didn't really know about that, you know, maybe he'll be compassionate about that. But those times where I'm deliberately doing it, right. surely he won't forgive me right. over those. Mm-hmm. And he does. That's he deals right. gently with us. I love, you know, going back to the last chapter, the end of the last chapter, where it talks about that we are in a hole. And Jesus is the only one that can pull us out of the hole, but also Jesus longs because of, you know, because of his sympathy, he longs to get in the hole with us to help us, to help us bear those burdens. And I just, I love that analogy of of what you just said, of how he deals with us, no matter what our sin is. Yeah. He deals with us the same way. Katina, this question, considering what all this means, when we sin, we're encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out. So how does or how can the gentleness of Jesus impact the struggle that people have with their sin? Well, back to what you were saying, how people feel when they sin. They feel like that God's going to be mad at them. They feel like, you know, they can't go to him. They can't come to him because he's mad. And they're they're actually, and we all actually are kind of going back looking at how our parents deal with us when we, you know, misbehave or break the rules, you know, that they might come down on us or punish us, you know, for whatever we need need. But we see that if they will ever understand how Jesus really is through this book is telling us that, that his true heart is love and compassion. And that he wants to help us through all of our sin. That's right. And Dane Ortland says on page 55 in our book, it, and it's referring to Hebrews, that it's telling us the kind of love he has rather than dispensing grace to us from on high. He gets down with us. Right. He puts his arm around mm-hmm. us. He deals with us in the way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. Amen. I go back and think of the movie on The Chosen and Mary Magdalene, where she had gone back to her old life, kind of, she backslid, you know, and she comes back and her head's down and she won't even look at Jesus. And he says, look at me. Mm -hmm. And she looks at him and then he hugs her and he loves her. And he says, I forgive you. 
And that's the way he does. Not this mean, awful that we think we is unapproachable, but he wants us to come to him. And that's what, you know, it helps us all. It's encouraging to all of us to know that he's there with open arms wanting us to come back to him, not mad, you know, on the hill and distance, but that he's gentle and lovely and loves us. So tied in with that, Tracy, what's the difference between fixing your attention on your sin? That's what Katina was just talking about with that illustration versus fixing your attention on Christ. Um, I think if we focus inward, we're going to stay in that mode of discouragement, frustration, disappointment in ourselves. Um, And then that causes us to think that's what Christ is doing at the same time, that he's feeling those same things, looking at us the way we're looking at ourselves through all that. But if we focus on him, then it allows us to accept his grace, his forgiveness, and get out of that mode of expecting that from him. And then we expect the gentleness instead. You had a brainstorm there for a moment. So. Yeah. So what Katina was talking about, it really reminds, it really makes me think of like, cause she was feeling guilt for her conviction. And we think that conviction is like guilt ridden, but conviction is good. And the way that Jesus, you know, walks with us is one of those ways in which God uses conviction to make us more like his son. Right. Um, and so a lot of times we come back like Mary with her head hung low and Jesus says, no, like, this is for your good. This is for your good that you feel this way. Yeah. So tying in with what you said, Tracy, you know, in a world that constantly tells us to look within, here you see that challenge to fix our eyes on him. And that theme has come up repeatedly recently in our act study, Peter and John, what were they doing? No, 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 don't look at us. Don't, this is not us. They were pointing to the power of Jesus that changed the life of the lame man. And so they wanted all of the attention on Jesus. And so, Just to our our listeners, you may be listening to this podcast today and you are reluctant to come before God. One, for the forgiveness of your sin and salvation, or you may have already accepted Christ, but you've walked away from Him. Your life's not honoring Him, and out of shame, you've been reluctant to return to Christ. Let me encourage you today. He is gentle and lowly. He longs to receive you back. I think you've heard that theme all throughout our session I appreciate the staff being willing to walk through the text together. I think we've had some great insights. Next time, we're going to look at chapters 6 and 7. So if you're following along in the book at home, you can read those chapters. We hope that that will be an encouragement as you come back and we share more from Gentle and Logan.